what I really want for myself and for all of us as a church is for all of us to know the gospel of Jesus, to agree that it is the gospel that is taught in God's word, to love Jesus because of the gospel, to feel in our hearts the beauty of the gospel, to of course not fall away from the one true gospel for counterfeits, and to realize the benefits of the gospel. And that's why we're going through this book of Galatians verse by verse because this book of Galatians is essentially about all that and that's why we're spending a whole message on just this one verse this morning from Galatians 5.1. And in fact, this verse is probably a verse that you want in your arsenal of memorized Bible verses. And so let me just say from the outset that I actually really do encourage you to try to memorize this one verse throughout our time together this morning. We will be covering this verse in depth, and so that'll really help. But I also just encourage you to repeat it over and over to yourself as we go. Because this really is an important and helpful verse for us concerning the benefits of the gospel and concerning our Christian lives. And so the goal is that as we go through this, and especially 30 or so minutes from now, we may all have really understood and maybe even have memorized this verse. That then brings us to an outline of how we will go through this verse together this morning. And so in digging into this verse, we'll simply have two sections together. Two sections. And very simply, first, we'll take the first half of the verse. And then second, we'll take the second half. And so the first half and then the second half, all with the goal of really getting at what God is saying to us here this morning. But that said, let's then dig in and begin our first section together, looking at the first half of this verse. And this is those words, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And just so you know, literally in the original Greek, this leads, reads a little different and emphatic. And that's because in the original Greek that the Bible was written in, it's a little different with how their word order works. And that's because word order in the ancient Greek is less about grammar and more about emphasis. And so that said, in the original, this first half of this verse literally reads, For freedom, us, Christ, he has set free. And I think that's helpful to know because that then gets at what's going on here. Because what's going on in the first half of this verse is, number one, us and Christ and what Christ has done for us. Us, Christ, he has set free. And number two, what's here is the purpose for what Christ has done, for freedom. So so what he's done and the purpose for what he's done. And so for us, let's take those now one at a time. And let's begin with what Christ has done for us. And as you can see, what he's done for us here is plain and obvious. The verse says, Christ has set us free. And now, if you've been with us for quite some time here in Galatians, we all know that this has been an idea that's been repeated multiple times up to this point. And so, so we won't spend that long on it together here this morning. But as a quick review, remember, especially from last week, that this idea of Christ setting us free in the gospel is the truth that we were once enslaved, but now we are no longer enslaved. And and what were we enslaved to? 
Well, if we want to break it down, we've seen Galatians essentially talk about how we were all enslaved to one overarching thing with with two different possible manifestations. And this is sort of review, but here's what the Bible means. So, So as for the overarching thing, the Bible has been clear that the enslavement that we're all in apart from Christ is essentially this bondage to sinfully thinking that my life and my rescue and my hope and my peace comes from me, from my works, from my doings, or from my being good enough, or whatever it is for you. And so that's the overarching thing we were all enslaved to. But then practically, we've seen that this plays out in two different manifestations or ways for people. And first, we've seen that this enslavement plays out in an enslavement to rules, to doing good enough. And often this is the case in just trying to be a good person or in typical religion. But then second, this enslavement manifests itself, if you remember, in what Paul called the elementary principles of the world. And we showed weeks ago that what he meant by that is that just the basic ways of the world's thinking. And those essentially are, once again, that my life is mainly defined by me and what I do by being successful enough or wealthy enough or comfortable enough or having enough of a happy family or whatever. And so that's the sinful and honestly selfish way of thinking about our lives that we were all enslaved to. That's that's the basic way of all religions beside Christianity and it's the basic way that the world thinks. But then comes the gospel the good news, this message about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done and what he will do for us. And the good news is that we're okay, we're loved, we have peace, we have purpose, we're rescued from what's wrong with us and we're brought back to God forever all by grace, all by what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection and we just receive him. And the point of reviewing all of that is because, so, so that's true, but what specifically then does believing that gospel do for us? For, for us who were enslaved to either rules and religion and being good or enslaved to the ways of the world or to both? Well, the gospel frees us. Specifically, as our verse says, Christ himself frees us. And this means we're no longer chained to seeing our lives as primarily defined by us, either by our sins or by our successes. Instead, it's all about Jesus. We're secure in him. We're okay and loved in him. And that's freeing. And and so that's what it means that Christ has set us free. And again, I know most of that was review, but we need to hear that again and again. And not only that, but we need to apply that to ourselves. Because the truth is, even as Christians, we still are tempted to go back to our slavery, as the second half of our verse is going to talk about. We still are all tempted to define our lives by us and by what we do, both in religious and in non-religious ways. But taking what we see here, the point is in those moments when we're tempted to do that, to to go back to such slavery, we shouldn't just say, I need to stop. We should, but even more so, 
what we should say to ourselves is what Galatians 5.1 here says to start, and that's okay, so I'm in tempted to become enslaved to that type of me-centered thinking about my life, thinking it's defined by either my sins or what I do. But the reality is in the gospel, in this good news of grace, Christ has set me free from that. And so we should think my life is actually about Jesus about what he did, about who he is for me, about what he will do for me and for the whole world in the future. That's really what defines my life, to live as Christ, as the Bible says elsewhere. And so we need to think, I'm no longer in bondage to finding my identity in me and what I do because Christ has set me free. So that's the first part of the first half of this verse here, and most of that was review. But that then brings us to the other part of this first half. And now here, in our first two words of chapter five, we have something that's been less commonly talked about so far in Galatians, but it's really important, and it's quite beautiful. And, and to understand what Paul is gonna say here now, think of it this way. So, so thus far this morning, and really in most of Galatians so far, we have that the gospel frees us from such enslavement. But then the question is, but why? Why does Jesus come and free us? And of course, there's many answers to that question. Jesus frees us so that we may be saved. Jesus frees us that we can be right with God. Jesus frees us so that we can have more peace, so that we can have a more secure hope for our future, so that we might be with him in glory and more. And hearing all of those things, we could then imagine that the Bible here could have said any of those things. The Bible could have said, for salvation, Christ has set us free. Or to be right with God, Christ has set us free. Or for our peace, Christ has set us free. And all of those would be right. But instead, what does the Bible say here? For freedom, Christ has set us free. And I know many of us hearing that may first hear that and think that the Bible here is just being repetitive or perhaps that it's merely being poetic by saying for freedom, Christ has set us free. But seeing what this verse is actually saying is really important because this isn't just repetition or poetry. Instead, the Bible here is saying something specific and amazing. And what is it? Well, God, through Paul, is saying to us here that Christ has set us free in the gospel, as we just talked about. But also, God, through Paul, is saying to us here that Christ has done that for our freedom. Meaning, one of the purposes for why Christ set you free is so that in your life, you live free. And on the one hand, maybe that sounds obvious to you, but but it really isn't. And we know this because so, so many people miss this. Because for so many Christians, they they think of their Christian lives just as obedience or as evangelism only or service or going to church. And all of those are good and right things. But instead of any of those, what this verse says here is that Christ has set us free for the purpose of living free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And the the upshot then of this for us is that we should hear this verse and think, 
So Jesus has not only set me free in the gospel when I first believed, but apparently Jesus really wants me to live in freedom. Or to say it another way, Jesus doesn't just want to save me in the gospel for my sins and enslavement. He does, but there's more. He, he also wants to make me, make us, people who once were saved, don't view our lives and Christianity in this negative light. Not at all. Instead, it's for freedom that Jesus has set us free. He wants us to live and flourish in freedom. And it's thinking like that that really challenges some of us, doesn't it? Because when we think of Christianity and Jesus, and especially when we think of what Jesus exemplified and and taught in his earthly ministry, I'm sure we might think of many right and good things. For example, we know Jesus cared a lot about love, which is a topic that will come up next week, as you can see in verse 6. Or we know Jesus really cared about truth which has come up in Galatians, obviously, a lot. Or, concerning his followers, we know that Jesus really did want his disciples to imitate him, which Galatians 5, coming up about the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit, we'll talk about. And, of course, we know Jesus died and rose for sins, and he wants us to trust him in the gospel. And so we know all of that when we think of Jesus and and what he wants for us. But guess what? There's also another big aspect of what Jesus wants for us. And it's something that we often don't talk about much. And that's, once again, that Jesus wants us to live in freedom. He he never intended his followers following him to do so with this morose, well, he's the Savior and, and God, and so I guess I have to follow him or else I'm in trouble. And honestly, I think for many of us, we can sometimes think of our Christian lives and following Jesus like that, but that is not from Jesus at all. Rather, Christ saves us, Christ frees us for the purpose of living in freedom. The Christian life is not one of bondage, but freedom. And so the question is, do you see your Christian life that way? Do you see your faith and your following of Jesus like that? Or or really, do you show forth to others, to your families, to your co-workers, that you following Jesus is a life of freedom? Because again, sadly for so many people, even gospel-believing people, we know Jesus saves us and sets us free at first, but then we don't see our lives as living in such joyous freedom. And that's not only wrong, but it's hurtful to us and it doesn't glorify Jesus. And and very practically then, in case you're wondering, this freedom means things like we're free to not be enslaved then to random man-made rules. It, It means that we're free to make choices as we live our lives knowing that as long as those choices don't lead us into obvious sin, Jesus is gladly for us. It means we're free to take risks because there aren't really anything called risks with our sovereign good God. It means that we're free to live our lives trusting that every single day God is truly for us. It means we're free to do bold things like talk to our coworkers about Jesus. It means we're free to not make our lives all about how much we can accomplish or achieve. It means we're free to be generous 
with what God has given us in our money. It means we're free to not fear death because when we die, we're just going to Jesus. It means that we're free to sleep at night knowing that God has our lives and the whole universe in his good control. And the list could go on, but again, the point is we're free in the gospel of Christ and Jesus wants us to live free. But one last thing. So that's Christian freedom. It's this freedom from typical religion and the ways of the world and it's living in freedom, knowing that you're okay by grace and God is on your side because of the gospel. But also, finally, I want us to know that Christian freedom also means that we're now free to do good works and fight sin. And I know after everything in Galatians thus far, that may sound jarring. Freedom means we do good works and fight sin. But but I want to bring this up now first because that is part of what this for freedom means, but also because now we're in Galatians chapter 5. And as you're going to see, Galatians 5 is a lot about Christian living. And so I don't want us to be surprised when we get there because you may hear all this about the gospel and being free and not being enslaved to rules, but then be really taken off guard later in Galatians 5 when Paul does talk about certain ways of living and certain ways of not following the ways of the flesh. And so the question is, how are we not enslaved to rules and what we do and yet also are told to do good works and told not to follow certain works of the flesh? And the answer is that we're now free to live like that. We're free to do good works and fight sin. And, and, I, and I really mean that, and the Bible really means that, and those are not just words. Rather, think about it this way. Our freedom in Christ means that we're freed from the enslavement of making our lives about us and being good enough, and it means that Jesus really wants us to live in that freedom, but then what does that practically look like? Well, it looks like us freely and actually wanting to follow Jesus, to love more like he did, to do good works like he did, to not sin like he didn't sin. And we do all that not because we feel like we have to to be okay with God, not because we feel like we're nothing without our good works, And not because we feel like if we sin, then God is no longer for us. That's all other religions, but that would bring us back to slavery. So that's not it. Rather, we freely fight sin and do good works because with the Holy Spirit within us, guess what? More and more we want to. Now, we are all still sinners And so we don't do this anywhere near perfectly and we can all work on this. And yet amazingly, the point we're getting at is what Christian freedom really looks like in people like you and me, saved people, loved by God people. It looks like us freely, gladly trying to do good works and fight sin and follow Jesus. And why? Well, one last time, not because we feel like we have to or else. Not at all. Instead, it's because we love God and we know we're loved by God. It's because we know God's way is the best and because we want to for our good and for Jesus' glory. And so we gladly follow Jesus. 
We eagerly do good works and we seriously fight sin because living like that is real freedom. And remember, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So that's the first half of our verse and our first section together this morning. And that in itself, in a way, could have been the whole verse. And if so, it still would have been a remarkable verse, but Paul doesn't stop there. Instead, he gives this whole second half of the verse, which adds even more to all of this. And, and technically, what's going on here, as you can see, is Paul is giving a therefore clause, meaning the Bible has said, Christ has set you free for the purpose of freedom, and therefore, or and so, and then what Paul does is he essentially get, tells us two things, two things, and these in some ways are very practical, so, and so if it helps you, think of these as two things we should respond with as a result of knowing all of this about our freedom. And as for what they are, they're pretty simple. First, stand firm, and then second, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so now let's take those one at a time, but for our sakes this morning, we're actually going to start with this do not submit idea. And so in response to our freedom here, the Bible at the end of verse 1 says to us, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And that's what this means. This is very similar to so much of what we've been talking about in Galatians. Because remember, in context, these Galatians were free in the gospel. But then these false teachers were trying to get them to go back to following the Old Testament law and their Christian living. And in that way, they were putting them back in bondage, in slavery to rules that God didn't intend for them to follow. And for us, as we've been saying, although we usually don't go back to following the Old Testament law, that same root applies of returning to slavery. That still does happen. And again, we have talked about that many, many times, but here, Paul adds a little bit more to what that looks like with those two words, submit and yoke. Submit and yoke. And these are helpful words for us to think about because first, as for the word submit, on the one hand, submission in the Bible is actually usually a good thing. And that's because this idea of submission in the Bible is often the idea of God-given authority and structure and order. And for example, we are called to submit to Christ. Or we as citizens are called to submit to our government. Wives in the Bible are called to submit to their husbands. And members in a church are called to submit to their elder leaders. And so in all of those, submission is supposed to be a good thing. And therefore, we need to know that submission in itself isn't bad. And we aren't only supposed to submit to God. We ultimately are, but in God's order for his glory and for our good, he has us submit in his word to certain ways of orders and certain authorities. But that said, what is bad is submitting to something that God hasn't ordained at all. And that's what applies here in this idea of submitting again to a yoke of slavery. Because God has never told us that we are to submit, to willfully go underneath this enslavement of making our lives about us and what we do and just following rules. And yet that's what typical religion wants us to submit to and that's what the world wants us to submit to. I mean, just think about all the ways 
that advertisements and movies and the news and social media posts and even institutional churches are all telling us this narrative, that your life is defined by you, by how good you are, by how successful you are, by how much you own, by how much you go to or give to the church. They're telling us that, and essentially they're implying that we need to submit to that being the case. And then to use the picture, as for salvation, the message they're saying is that we just need to buy their product or work harder or be more religious or have a better family or just do better. That's the message we're thrown every single day. And in short, the Bible is saying, don't submit again to that. And this is further clarified by Paul writing, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Because that idea of a yoke, as you might know, was something that was put on the neck of oxen to guide them. And on this, on the flip side, as most of us probably know, it was actually Jesus himself who famously used this picture of a yoke to talk about following him. And so we aren't supposed to submit to a yoke of slavery, but instead, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus himself used this picture of a yoke, but in a positive way. Because he has a yoke. He guides, but it's a restful and easy and light yoke. And this actually fits at what Paul is saying here in Galatians 2. Because in Galatians 5.1 here, the Bible's saying, don't submit and put on a yoke of this typical religion or worldly way of thinking about your life. Don't let that works-focused way of life guide you. But instead, what should we do? Well, keep on Christ's yoke, his restful yoke. We keep letting Christ and his gospel of grace be what we submit to, be what we go underneath. We let it be what guides us. And lastly on this, in case you are thinking, but I want to wear no yoke. That's understandable, especially in our modern individualistic culture, but that's actually just a simple misunderstanding of the picture, of the analogy. Because in the analogy, we're all oxen wearing a yoke. And so the only question is, which yoke? Because even if you say, I wear no yoke, the truth is there are still things that guide you. The world's ways probably still guide you. And not only that, but often people are just mainly guided by their own impulses and thoughts and feelings. And so we are all guided. We all wear a yoke. The only question is, which yoke is it? And what the Bible is saying to all of us churches, don't let it be this typical religion or the basic ways of the world which makes your life all about you and what you can do be your yoke. You are free from that. And so avoid that yoke and instead... Keep wearing the light and better and restful yoke of Jesus and his gospel of grace. Which finally brings us to the last part of this verse, which we haven't talked about yet. And as you can see, that's what's in the middle. 
And so thus far we have Christ to set us free for the purpose of freedom. And so don't submit to a yoke of slavery. But then finally for us in the middle there, Paul also adds, stand firm therefore. And that is a hugely important command. Because to boil this down, think about what this means for you and for me and for all Christians. It means that we're living in a world and in bodies and in a spiritual environment that isn't neutral. Instead, we live in an environment that's trying to rip us from our freedom in Christ. That's why we need to stand firm. Or to say it another way, it's a battle out there. And guess what? It's not a battle primarily for being good or for morality or for just following God or even a battle for just, quote, believing in God. Not at all. Instead, the battle we're all in is for believing this gospel of Jesus and it's a battle for living in the freedom of this gospel of Jesus. That's the battle we're in every day. The world, our sinful hearts, the devils and demons around us are all trying to rip us from believing the real gospel and from living in our freedom we have in the gospel. And so we need to know that and we need to stand firm, therefore, in our freedom. We're to really bring this home. Let's make this practical. Because think about it. What, what really happens if you fall back into just typical religion? Well, the answer is, not only will you then lose the real gospel of Jesus, but you'll lose your freedom in Christ. Or what happens if you go back to defining your life by things like how much success you achieve or how much money you have? Well, again, you lose the real gospel and you lose your freedom in Christ. Or what happens if you become obsessed with, say, something like social media and how attractive or popular you are? You'll experience a loss of freedom in Christ. Or what happens if you become so focused primarily on the state of the world and world, po world politics and that causes you such ups and downs? A loss of freedom in Christ. Or just in general, what happens when you and I start downplaying Jesus and his gospel and instead pivot back to making who we are and what we do our defining realities? Well, again, a loss of freedom in Christ. And so we really do need to heed this call. We're all in a battle for us and for others to believe this gospel, this good news about what Jesus has really done in history. And we're in a battle that's trying to rip us from living in the freedom in Christ in the gospel. And so we need to stand firm in the gospel and in our freedom in the gospel. And I don't know, I just want to say, maybe that does sound extreme to you. Maybe you're sitting there and to you, you don't feel like the world or sin is trying to rip you of your freedom in Christ. But the reality is, it is. Even in subtle ways, just think about it. And personally, I feel this all the time. I know that in the gospel, I am forgiven and free and loved and known and secure. And God is for me. And so what and who can be against me? And yet, Typical religious thoughts like, am I good enough? Am I doing enough? 
or typical thoughts of the ways of the world with questions like, am I successful enough or attractive enough? They're all trying to rip me from my freedom I have in Christ all the time. And so it is for all of us. For freedom, Christ has set us free. But we live in sinful bodies in a broken world with evil spiritual forces really around us, all attacking our freedom, trying to lure us away from the gospel and back into thinking that our security, our peace, our rescue comes from what we do. But we as Christians... We believe Jesus' gospel, which is all about grace. We know that our lives are about him. We know the battle that we're in, and therefore, believing this gospel of grace over and over and over, we stand firm in our freedom, and we avoid submitting ourselves again to a yoke of slavery. And so that's our verse, brothers and sisters. Christ has set us free for the purpose of living in freedom. And therefore, let's each not submit again to a yoke of slavery, and we do that by standing firm in our freedom in Christ. Which leads us to close with one more thing, one more thing. And for this, we're actually going to go to one more verse later in Galatians 5, and this will be Galatians 5.13. Galatians 5.13. And I think we should go here as we close because most people when studying this book of Galatians will point out that that verse one we've been looking at all morning is very similar in some ways to a verse that's about to come in verse 13. But verse 13 adds yet another aspect to what we've been talking about and it's something which I think may help all of us as we're soon to walk out those doors this morning. But that said, look quickly with me then, if you can, at Galatians 5.13. This is only a dozen or so verses later, and Paul writes this. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So I think this is a helpful verse because we've been talking a lot about our freedom in Christ and how it's the opposite of slavery and how Jesus wants us to live in freedom. But now here in verse 13, you can see to add to that, the language the Bible uses is that this freedom is also what God has called us to. And I think that's really applicable to all of us because so many Christians these days want to ask questions like, what is God's calling on my life? Or what has God called me to? And we ask those questions because we want to know what God wants for us specifically. And asking questions like that and and praying about that can be really good. But in the Bible, I hope you know first that the word calling is primarily used to talk about being called to believe in the gospel. And so God's calling on your life as a Christian is he calls you to believe and trust in Jesus and the gospel. But also, as you can see here in verse 13, what else God has called you to is freedom. God has a plan for your life. He has a calling on your life. And his calling is he wants you to live in freedom in Christ. And that is quite a different view of God than we often have, isn't it? Because so often when we think of God, we think he's this rule-focused God who wants to hinder our freedom. But the opposite is true. 
Instead, God has called us to freedom. He loves us and and doesn't want us to be enslaved, enslaved to typical religion and man-made rules or enslaved to the ways of the world's thinking. Instead, God has called you to freedom, brothers. And yes, as you can see at the end there, verse 13, that freedom leads us to love and it isn't a freedom that makes opportunities for the flesh because that isn't freedom. Instead, God has called us to true freedom and that's knowing and being known by God. It's being secure in God's family due to the gospel. It's freely following Jesus in love and good works and fighting sin. And it's knowing that I'm loved and okay now and forever. That's freedom. And that's your and my calling as Christians. We are called to live in our freedom in the gospel in Christ. And so for all of us, church, let's start aiming for that more and more. After seeing everything that we saw here together this morning, let's see our God, our Jesus, as a God of freedom a God who freely saved us, and a God who now wants us to live in freedom. And it's all because, and church, I hope you maybe have it memorized by now, it's all because for freedom, Christ has set us free. And so let's stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery.